Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. This is, I love my church. I love my church. I love my youth group. I love my children's ministry. I love our Spanish ministry. I love everything about our church. I'm so excited to hear from some of our young people tonight. And they come from different backgrounds. They were raised different. And that's what I love about our church. There's no respecter of persons here. This is, this is not a club. This is the kingdom of God. It's for everybody. And we're going to learn about that today. If you just take a look around our church on any given Sunday, what a, what a kaleidoscope of people. Oh, it's so good. It's a healthy church. Amen? I love it. Why don't you give God praise for that? Thank you, Jesus. Now, these young people are going to preach. They'll teach. They might treach. But whatever it is, would you preach with them? Would you help them today and agree with them? They've been praying. They've been fasting. And we could have had seven, eight, ten of them speak. We have four tonight, and I want you to join with them today. So why don't you give them a big hand as they come. Good afternoon. Before I start, I would like to thank Pastor Harple, Pastor, for allowing me to be here today. I will be talking about the promise of the Holy Ghost. I will start reading Acts 2, 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Acts 2 records one of the most exciting events in the Bible. There were over 100 people in the upper room who were there for a prayer meeting, but they left with so much more. All of a sudden, they heard a sound that came like a rushing mighty wind that filled the house where they were. The sound of wind was accompanied by the appearance of fire on the heads of those who were there. I, to be honest, I would be terrified if I'm in the middle of a prayer meeting and I just look over and my friend has fire over the top of their head. It might just be me, but I don't know. <laughs> so, I mean, I can't imagine what was going on in their minds in that moment. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and started to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. During this time, there were Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard this, they ran to see what all the commotion was. And they were astounded by hearing all these people speaking their native language. They then came to the conclusion that all these people were just drunk. But then Peter spoke. Acts 2.14 but Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judah, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that was spoken by the prophet Joel. The prophecy. Joel two twenty eight. 
and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaidens, in those days I will pour out my spirit. And I shew wonders in heaven and in earth, blood, fire, and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in remnant whom the Lord shall call. Joel had written these words six hundred years prior to the day of Pentecost. Although it did take a while for God's words to be fulfilled, it happened. Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of God shall stand forever. So the question today remains the same as it was back then. It's not, will God do it? It's when will God do it? Joel then went on to explain that signs, wonders, and supernatural manifestations would accompany this new work of God's spirits. First, he said that sons and daughters would prophesy, signifying that the spirit's work would not be inhibited by gender distinctions. Then, he said young men would see visions and old men would dream dream-inspired dreams, signifying that God would speak to the young and to the old. Next, he said servants and handmaidens would prophesy, signifying that God would not regard socioeconomic distinctions. Last, he said God would show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath when the heavenly bodies would be affected. Nature itself would proclaim God's new work. The end result of these miraculous manifestations would be salvation for anyone who would call on the name of the Lord. His prophecies are still being fulfilled today. God did not intend for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to be a one-time event, which is why we can receive the gifts of the Holy Ghost to this day. The Bible gives us many examples of people receiving the Holy Spirit accompanied by tongues and other supernatural signs. The members of Cornelius' household spoke with tongues when they received the gift of the Holy Ghost in Acts 10. The disciples of John the Baptist spoke in tongues when they received the Holy Spirit in Acts 19. In Mark 16, Jesus promised that believers would speak in new tongues. And last, great revivals such as Azusa Street in Los Angeles, California, have been accompanied by speaking in tongues and other supernatural manifestations. We can experience God's power. Acts 2.17 And it shall come to pass that in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, 
And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God did not promise to pour out his spirit on some people. He promised to pour out his spirit on all flesh. Which means that no matter what your background is, no matter what you've done, you still you are still able to receive what God has for you because he is not looking at your past. He is looking at what your future can be. Mark 16, 17. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink of any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. As believers, and because we are filled with the Spirit, we have the power to cast out devils and tell them to flee. We have power to lay hands on the sick and rebuke their sickness. We can tell mountains to move. We have more power than our minds can comprehend. Think about the mountain in your life. Your mountain. The Word tells us that we have power over our mountains. So there is no reason why we should ever feel defeated because the word tells us we have dominion over every obstacle that may come against us. First Corinthians twelve thirty one. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet shew I unto you a more excellent way. Paul said that we should covet God's gifts. The definition of covet is a yearn to possess or have something. When Paul says that we should covet God's gifts, what he is saying is that when it comes to the Lord, we should never be satisfied. We should pray daily for an increase of God's anointing. The promise. This is not a story. This is a promise. When Peter stood up and proclaimed, this is that, which was spoken by the prophet Joel, God's words breed life into millions of people for generations to come. God had promised us that he would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. God is a generous giver. He does not ration out his gifts. In fact, he wants to give us his gifts more than we desire to receive them. Just like our earthly fathers, God always has more to give. But his gifts on earth are pale in comparison to what is waiting for us in eternity. Thank you. Praise the Lord, church. I think we can do a little bit better. Praise the Lord, church. First, I'd like to give thanks to Pastor Harpole and my wonderful youth pastor and his wife, Sister Crystal, for giving me this opportunity to come before you all with my message. Secondly, I'd like to say I am not a preacher. (laughs) I just want to give a few things to settle in your spirit tonight. 
So I have a passage that I'd like to make my key points on. So if you're able, please stand and turn to Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. Once you have it, say amen. We got it? Okay. All right. And you can read along too. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continue, and they continually daily, with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You may be seated. It has been said that a truly apostolic church has a pulpit, a fellowship hall, and a prayer room. They are much more than, these, than physical realities. They are indications of values. According to Google, a pulpit is a raised platform or lectern in a church or chapel from which the preacher delivers a sermon to the people. A fellowship hall comes from the Greek word kionia, which means association, community, and joint participation. And a prayer room is defined where people are able to spend time in contemplation or in prayer. What I'm getting at is those three, those three things bring values to a church. All three things collectively and individually break down barriers and limitations for the people of God. And those three things, there are no restrictions. We're all with one accord and in one sound mind. As an established church, we cannot move forward and expect great things to come while leaving people behind. God designed us to enjoy a variety of relationships from marriage to family to friends. One of the best places to make friends and develop good relationships is at the church. And lasting healthy relationships friendships are just one benefit of being part of God's church. I mean, it's great we have all these things that make up a church and the things that come with it, but you can have a church anywhere. It just doesn't have to be within these four walls. Your prayer room, your sanctuary, your fellowship hall, and even your pulpit could be wherever you make it. In other words, I've discussed the absolute church, how the apostolic church was established, and how we can establish our own internal churches with ourselves and others. So now let me give you a little insight on the establishment of this church, which is me. Because we are the church, right? All right. I remember a year ago, first coming, and it being such a culture shock. I didn't know what to do with myself, honestly. From leaving a predominantly African-American church to the complete opposite. Surprisingly, I hid away from everyone at the beginning, but... Every Sunday, like clockwork, Brother Charles Harris would say, go sit with the youth, you need to make friends, etc., etc." <laughs> so eventually I would talk to people and then go right back under my mom. In other words, I'd say five steps forward, 20 steps back. But that went on, and that went on for months, until April 22nd, 2018. Brother Charles, after service, was praying for my mom and her friend, her best friend Jennifer, and I was praying for my mom, but she was already filled with the Spirit. And tears were falling down my face, and I remember multiple people praying over me, and I'm praying with them. And this tingling sensation went from the top of my, top of my head to the soles of my feet. 
And later that night, I was baptized. And my life did a whole 360 turn. Okay, so let's fast forward. <laughs> so let's fast forward to around youth retreat time, like the video you've seen. I kind of got forced to go by Charles and my mom, but not really. <laughs> um, I didn't want to go because I was away from my mom, and just like any other kid my age, I was away from my phone for a whole weekend. <laughs> and, and I was staying with people I didn't even know. So I went with the mindset of, I'm just going to go, sit in the back, be in a couple pictures so my mom knows I actually got on the bus. <laughs> and I basically had a low profile, and that's what I did. Until the night of Brother Chris's message, Cloud of Witnesses. As we walked around like the Israelites, walking around Jericho, together I felt a sense of, free, I felt a sense of freeness like chains were falling and barriers were breaking down. And I felt like a sense of unity was being put together in our youth group that day. I couldn't help but just keep praying and as the tears were falling. And God spoke to me and said, this, this is where you need to be. This, with this youth group, with these people at this church. And this church is home. So I left the service, and I felt so free, and, you know, and over the next couple months after retreat, God kept giving me signs of saying, you should take the next step, and you should take the next step and start making friends, but, you know, <laughs> but, as every per- ev- but as every person has done at least once, God says do something, and you're strong with, God, are you sure, or maybe next time, or I'm personally not ready, but I, take- but I took that next step and went to the next fellowship night. But, and before you know it, with a blink of an eye, here I am now. <laughs> Speaking to a congregation that I love, at a church that I love, filled with the Holy Spirit that strengthened my relationship with God every day. <laughs> And that 17-year-old girl a year ago who sat in, the back, sat in the back row under her mom has grown, and this is her now. <laughs> so, I, so I leave you with this scripture, 2 Peter 3.18, and it says, But grow in grace and in knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Thank you. I know you guys have done it once or twice, but praise the Lord, church. All right, there we go. Now more than ever, our church and every church needs to understand the importance of cultural diffusion. I am proud to say that my father has taught me that well, and I'm under a pastor who embodies that, and I go to a church that embodies that. Can I just say how thankful I am for this church? Very thankful. 
Perhaps Jesus showed us one of the most important lessons in John 4. To fully understand what Jesus did, we have to look at it from the perspective of the average Jew of the time. The Jews and the Samaritans had no dealings with each other due to a long and complicated past. However, we know that Jesus told us a few scriptures later in John 13, 34, our new duty is the first love. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. That is why Jesus went through Samaria, to show us that it is our obligation as Christians to love one another, regardless of race, age, or opinion. In this passage, we not only see Jesus go into a land that no other Jew would go into, we also see him associate with and teach a Samaritan woman. This was so uncommon, the first thing she said to him was, wait, do you not know who you are? Do you not know who I am? Why are we talking? <laughs> Imagine asking the living God why he was speaking to you. I can't. I <laughs> but that's how, dif- that's how big the difference between the two were. Jesus came to break that barrier. Jesus came to break the barrier between all cultures. That is why he started in Samaria, to prove that if he could break that, he could break every other one. We can't, we can't forget, aside from that, this woman had been married five times and was currently living with a man that she wasn't married to. So back then, that really wasn't accepted. But that's not what Jesus focused on. He saw a broken heart that he knew how to fix. That's right. He didn't focus on her mistakes. He didn't see her social status or who she was, her being a Samaritan. He came to her to speak with her. He came to relate with her and to heal her. In John 4.23, he goes on to tell her that the time is coming for when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. He wasn't talking about the Jews here. He was implying that all who can worship him in spirit and in truth will be heard by him. So we can look at Acts 10. This is the story where we really see God's will for the church first come to pass. It is the story of Peter and Cornelius. Cornelius was a high-class Roman centurion who really feared God. And I know what you're thinking. Isn't a Roman categorized as a Gentile? The answer is, yeah. A Gentile, according to Google, is anyone who is not a Jew. That leads to the question, then, how could a Gentile fear God who wasn't promised to them? Well, it kind of happened a lot in the Bible. We know our God is the true and only God, and that doesn't go unnoticed. Word gets around. So why don't we look at Joshua chapter 2, piggybacking off the same story about the children of Israelites and um, Jericho. There was a woman named Rahab. She was a Canaanite in the land that was promised to the children of Israel. And eventually the time came where Joshua would have to send men into Jericho. There they ran into some trouble and needed a place to hide. And when they got to Rahab, she opened her doors and let them in to hide in exchange for protection. The reason why she did this is explained in Joshua 9 through 11. I know that the Lord has given you the land and that your terror has fallen upon us and that all of the inhabitants of the land are faint hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these sayings, Our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage and any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth below. 
Notice how she said, the Lord your God, not the Lord my God. She knew where she was, but she knew who he is. She feared him. So, no, Cornelius was not the first Jew to have faith in the Jewish God, the first non-Jew to have faith in the Jewish God. However, Cornelius would turn out to be different. He was going to become the first Gentile accepted into the eternal kingdom of the I Am. The story starts with God sending a vision to Cornelius to send for Peter, who was in Joppa. Without hesitation, Cornelius sent for him. But at the same time, God was working with Peter. He sent him a vision. God chose a truly amazing time to reach Peter. He got to him while he was hungry. (laughs) So while he was waiting for someone to bring him food, he got a vision of the finest spread of animals. Think of it in your head, a juicy hamburger, some sizzling bacon, maybe some chicken, all the fixings. (laughs) But, and Peter was all ready to dig in, all ready. But he was a Jew. And as we know, Jews have very strict eating habits. So Peter made sure to tell God, you know, from youth I haven't, I haven't eaten any, any unclean thing. But however, God responded very quickly and to the point. He said in Acts 10, 15, what God has cleansed, you call not thou common. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. That was Peter's first interaction with what was going to come. He was then told in that vision that a man was sending for him and that he should go with the men. So soon after, the men by Cornelius found Peter and he went with them. We have to also take into consideration that Jews up to this point were barely associated with Gentiles, let alone would go into a house with them, right? So Peter was taking a leap of faith. And when he showed up, the first thing Cornelius says, the first thing, is get to his knees and begin to praise him. Him as in Peter. Now, that's what I call a true worshiper. I do understand that he worshiped the wrong man, but he showed a willingness that astounded Peter. Because he goes on to say in Acts 10, 34 and 35, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality and every nation, whoever fears him and works righteously is accepted by him. Through this revelation, the Holy Spirit began to pour out in the house of Cornelius, a Gentile. That was God's fulfillment to us. His gift for all who seek them. Not just every Jew, but every Gentile. Not just every third generation Christian, but every broken soul that walks in the door. Not the perfect. Not the perfect, but the flawed. Not the whole, but the gracefully broken the hurting, those who have been in pain. God created us all, and he wants us all. That is why the story of Cornelius is the that to our this. This. Look around you. In this church right now, there are people who have gone to church their entire life. Also in this church, we have people who this may be their first or second time in church ever. There are black people and white people, Hispanic people, mixes in between. There are people in here who have been married for 30 years, and there's people who've gone divorces. There are recovering addicts here, and fresh minds looking for a new start. That is the diversity God calls for.
Raise your hand if you're a Jew in here. Is there anybody? Well, that means we're all Gentiles. So, yeah, God's covenant was to the Jews first, but since Jesus came back to die for our imperfect sins, we are called perfect, and the promise is to us, all of us. So the love God willingly gave us is the same love we should willingly give others. In this house, there is no place for hate of any kind. In this house of the Lord, there is meant to be every type of person. That is how we reach the world, by showing that God didn't come for one. He came for all, regardless of past. Us all being together and being who God made us is how we, how we reach the world. We are the light now that Jesus is in us. And that was spoken of in Isaiah 63. So this, this is New Life Fellowship. This is that. That which the prophet Isaiah spoke of. That which Jesus Christ came to make a way for. That which is a kingdom of true worshipers. This is where no one has a past and everyone has a future. Thank you. I just want to say that I'm thankful that my father and my family don't own a church, but rather we get to be a part of a church. And I know that I'm not my dad and I'm not Brother Shock and I'm not Brother Strout, but for the next few moments, I'd like for you guys just to put my age away and put my height away and put my raspy voice away. And I really do want to speak into your lives and we're going to have some fun and we're going to, we're going to speak about some things and and I would like for your hearts to be open to receive the word that, is God, that God has given me f- for you. Romans 8.37 says, Nay, in these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And for the next few moments, I'd like to speak to you on this simple topic. This is that love. Throughout all of time, people have found different ways to show their gratitude towards others. And they show their love in in different holidays, one of which being Mother's Day, in which we show our gratitude towards our mothers or those who took time to care for us as we grew older. And Father's Day, which is today, and we show our gratitude to our fathers by giving them a gift card to Lowe's and saying, go ahead and put however much money you want on it. That's, that's your gift. Taco Tuesday, maybe, where we show our love to the number one rated taco place in America, Taco Bell. <laughs> Valentine's Day, where we show our love to the special someone and where we buy overpriced flowers and awkward-shaped chocolates. And unfortunately, love today is a different kind of love, and because and it's known as temporarily, temporary and nonchalant, constantly being thrown around as, it, as, it, as if it has no significant meaning. 
Some would say that they fell in love at first sight, but then she started singing. <laughs> That's bad. I shouldn't say that. Used to, the word love would mean that they would do anything to keep, protect, and save. But because our own worldly definition has changed, we tend to disvalue the love that our God has for us. And I'm sorry to break it to you, but the love that you have for Starbucks and Chick-fil-A is not the same love that was shown on Calvary and on the cross. I cannot begin to describe and explain or even comprehend how Jesus suffered, but all I know is that he did it because he loved you and he has a purpose for your life. And Jesus was publicly beaten with a leather whip before his crucifixion. Jesus, with tiny pieces of iron and bone chips, were tied to the end of each one, causing deep cuts and painful bruises. He was mocked, struck on, and spit on. A prickly thorns were placed on his head, and he was stripped naked, too weak to carry his own cross. Simon was forced to help him carry it. He was led to Golgotha, where he would be crucified. Stake-like nails were driven through his wrists and ankles and fastening him to the cross. And between the two, he was put between two convicted criminals as if he were a criminal too. Ephesians 5.25 would tell us that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it, and Jesus died for the church, but I've come here to say that for Jesus, the church is not an institution like Yale University, Microsoft, or Apple. But for Jesus, the church is an individual. It has no brand value or, or anything else like that. It has no VIPs. Jesus did not die for an institution, but rather Jesus died for individuals. With every nail, bruise, and scar, Jesus put a name to it because that is love. He laid down his life because that is love. Throughout the Bible, God disguises his love in stories we often look at in a different way. As Moses fled from the Israelites across the dry ground of the splitting Red Seas, God demonstrated his great love by not only delivering them from the enemy, but he had Pharaoh pursue them just so he can wipe them out forever. That is love. Acts 16, 25, 30 to 33 tells us, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And, and then suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately the doors were open and everyone's bands were loose. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword just to fall on it. He would have killed himself supposing that the prisoners had fled. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, and he sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas, the guard did. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and all that were in his house. And he took them in the same hour and that night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. God disguising his love once again by witnessing to a guard through Paul and Silas' trials and struggles. Many times this passage is 
used to represent breakthrough. Yet sometimes people overlook that their trials and their tribulations were a birth of another one's breakthrough. God's love worked in another way that was obscure and unfathomable. And Acts also introduces us to Saul, who was blinded by the light on the road to Damascus. He was converted and then and there. And not only did he change his name, but he changed his attitude and love for others. These breakthroughs didn't happen by chance, but there's a heavenly father above looking down and pouring out his love for all. Clayton Jennings would put it like this. He's more than you could ever need. He's more than the eye can see. I don't deserve his love, yet he's always there for me. You see, Jesus met me when I was at my lowest. And if you don't know Jesus, know this. He is the greatest example of generosity this world of greed has ever seen. And when Jesus hit the scene, he changed the scenery. He met diversity with serenity. If you're looking for peace, he offers plenty. Jesus was and will forever be king. And when the angels sing... They'll sing it of the, the grace that was displayed for sinners like me. I can't explain him and I can't describe him because if I could, he wouldn't be Jesus. Because you can't explain eternity and you can't comprehend the galaxies. But it was the loving hands of Jesus who spun them into existence. He created man knowing he'd have to go to the cross to pay for our sentence. There was a certificate of judgment with a period after the sentence. And we were sentenced to death long before he said it is finished. He's a father to the orphans, a shelter to the homeless, a hiding place for the abused and the anchor to our storm. He stormed the gates of hell and came out on top, and it's the power of his gospel that cannot be stopped. And even when the world tries, and they try a lot, he traded places with Barabbas and became the catalyst of missions across the world covering every portion of the atlas. And if you're in need of rest, I know a mattress. If you don't know Jesus, your future is tragic, but he'll gladly embrace tragedy so we can live in the presence of his majesty. His presence is present. And it's his presence that presents preciousness to a world of peasants. He's far from pretitious, but still loves those who are. He's the light of the world that hung on the stars. He delivers life to the dead, but, but brings the dead to life. He wore a crown of thorns on his head so we can lay crowns at his feet. And I can't wait to the day that I get to kiss those feet that were nailed to the cross for me and for you and for every person around the world. He loves this world and I love his word because in his word he became the flesh and in his flesh he demonstrated the word to the world. He's a lover of, of black people, a lover of white people, a lover of the unchurched and the assembly under the steeple. He doesn't see the believer's failures but still takes time to celebrate their faithfulness and it's his spirit that enables us even when the world tries to label us. And if you want to label me, you can call me a Jesus freak. And if that freaks you out, then good, because it's better to be good with God and fight being misunderstood by a world that can never understand. So let it be understood that I don't worship man. I worship Jesus. And although he doesn't need us, he still sees us and pleads for us to run to the cross where he bled for us. His heart bleeds for us. His heart grieves for us, but still graciously grants us a pardon for our treason in a season where the world tries to explain away the works of the spirit with human reasoning. And here's the reason why they can't. It's because the spirit is like the wind and the wind cannot be seen. But loved is he who believes without seeing the unseen. 
I'm telling you, he's something, he's something more, he's something great. And if you want to know him, you don't have to wait. He stands at the narrow path of the key to the gate. And all you have to do is reach out and embrace his grace. I don't care who the president is. My king is always present. I don't care about the host musician or celebrities because the voice of the Lord will always be the sweetest melody. I don't care who owns the riches of the globe because my king has more wealth with one ruby on his robe. I don't care who's the strongest or the fastest. Nothing matches the creator of the universe and his infinite and mortal status. I don't care about religious leaders who died and stayed dead. I worship the God who conquered death and wears a crown on his head. His name is Jesus, and I'm telling you, he's something more. He's faithful yesterday. He's faithful today. And I can feel his presence whenever I pray. And when the time comes for me to fade away, I will always remember the day I heard him say, my name is Jesus. My uncle had cancer for about three years. He never looked sick or even acted sick. He would walk into the cancer center weekly to obtain his chemo treatment. He watched as the people fought for their lives. And many passing away in these years, doctors couldn't explain why my uncle was doing so well and fighting this chemo off. And when confronted about it, my uncle's response was always, my father loves me. Every Sunday, my uncle would walk to this front for prayer, and I stood by his side, not knowing what was yet to come. I asked him, Uncle Mark, what if you can't play sports with me anymore? He would say, it's okay, Reagan, because my father loves me. And the next Sunday, he would walk to the front for prayer, and I stood by his side, and I'd ask him, Uncle Mark, what if you lose your hair? And he'd say, it's okay, Reagan, because my father loves me. The next Sunday, he'd walk to the front, and I'd ask him, Uncle Mark, what if you're sick for the rest of your life? What if you lay in a hospital bed and you're sick for the rest of your life? And he'd say, it's okay, Reagan, because my father loves me. And the next Sunday, I'd ask him, Uncle Mark, what if this is it? What if you never return to the earth? What if you die right here, right now? And he would reach out and he'd say, Reagan, it's okay because my father loves me. My uncle sat in the chair outside the medical center and waited for the reports of the clinical trial. With his cardinal's hat on his head, the doctors came out and told him that he would no longer be able to pursue this and be able to continue with this trial. And my uncle pulled down his hat over his eyes and said, Doc, you know what you, you've done all that you've known to do. And now it's God's turn to know, do what he knows to do. The other day I scrambled through my notes as I, and I came across this one, Aunt Joe, and it said, Aunt Joe and Uncle Mark, I love you both. Wish we could spend more time together, but I understand that y'all are busy. If you guys need anything, just contact me and it'll be my first priority. Aunt Joe, I know seeing Uncle Mark sick a lot may hurt, but just know we will always be there for you. You're never alone. I, tra- I try praying for you guys every day, mainly in private, because I know that if I were to do it in public, I'd begin to cry. Never give up. 
I pray constantly for you both and won't stop. I can't tell you how many times tears rolled down my face as I prayed and interceded for you guys. I prayed for Uncle Mark and his strength. I prayed for Aunt Joe. No matter what happened, you know that it's all in God's hands. I love you both and just wanted you to know that I will always be there standing by your side, praying, rejoicing, helping, and loving you. Trust in God and he will make a way. Uncle Mark, you've always been there, my role model, and through this all, you've shown me great faith and trust in God, and I couldn't ask for a better person in my life. I think about you and the impact that you've had in my life, and if I were to ever go into ministry or do anything for the kingdom of God, your influence on me would be one of the reasons. Aunt Joe, through the many days you've taught me to work and give me my best, I, I thank you for that. You guys have been there for me, even in my darkest times. So now it's time for me to return the favor. Love you both. Hope to talk to you soon. One month later, my uncle passed away. June 29, 2018 at 11.02 a.m. I sat on his side and I held his hand as he took his last breath. Sitting there holding my deceased uncle's hand in shock, I laid on my bed, not wanting to away because I knew that I'd have to deal with reality in which he wasn't there. I came to church the next week and sat in my chair as people walked by me and pat me on the back. I'd come up for prayer and I'd walk to the front and I stood there lost in thought and with no uncle by my side, no more questions to ask him. I cried out, why would a God that loves me take away the biggest influence on my life? Why would a father that loves me so much do this to me? What did I do to deserve this? And although my life is so very different, despite my loss, despite my shock, despite all the things that I can't do without him, despite my hurt and despite my tears, nay, in these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I've come to say that I'm okay because my father loves me. This is that love that was shown on Calvary. And this is that love that separated the seas. And this is that love that set Paul and Silas free. This is that love that converted Saul to Paul. Right now, if you would, these altars are open to the hurting and broken but it's okay because my father loves me <laughs> right now these altars are open to the depressed but it's okay because my father loves me and right now these altars are open to the ones who cannot find comfort but it's okay because my father loves me to the family who's lost in financial debt but it's okay because my father loves me to the one who can't seem to find the right way but it's okay because my father loves me the ones that are in the hospital day in and day out. It's okay because my father loves me. To the blind, but it's okay because my father loves me. To the deaf, but it's okay because my father loves me. <sighs> to the mother of a child. But no father, it's okay because my father loves me. To the ones that don't know how they're going to make it through their current situation, but it's okay because my father loves me. 
to the ones that think there's nothing wrong going in their life. It's okay because my father loves me. And to the ones who come up here day after day and ask for prayer, but nothing's happening. It's okay because my father loves me. I've not come to put on a show or cry in front of you to make me seem more spiritual, but this is the word that God has given me. And although I might be young and although everything in my life might seem right and I have things that are wrong and I know that I can't be the best every day, I'm okay because my father loves me. Because my father loves me. I'm okay because my father loves me. Uncle Mark, what if you're not there to see me speak? It's okay because my father loves me. Uncle Mark, what if you can't be there for me when I need you? It's okay because my father loves me. Mom or dad... If you're not there anymore, I'm okay because my father loves me. My family, if you're not here right now in my darkest time, I'm okay because my father loves me. I know I can't relate to all of your situation, but know this. You will be okay because your father loves you. And there's nothing that can separate me from you. Because nay, in these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things to come, nor things present, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I've come to say that I'm okay because my father loves me. your hands raised and as you come to these halters I want nothing more than anybody else but just to know that your father loves you I might sing, I might speak and I might have things going on in my life that I can't get through but I'm okay because my father loves me and if you have an addiction you're okay because your father loves you and if you can't seem to find your way out of life you're okay because Your father loves me. If your parents are getting divorced, you're okay because your father loves me. And if you've messed up, you're okay because your father loves you. When all things seem wrong, you will be okay because your father loves me. When you're injured, when you're broken, when you're hurt, when you're depressed, when you're not comforted, when you can't do anything else in life, you will be okay because your father loves you. I can't do more than this but just to say you will be okay because your father loves me.